0: What does it take to go the distance? When the chips are down, how do we find the courage and the will to continue on so that we can achieve our purpose? In this episode, I speak to Kyle Sanders, founder of Legacy Consultants Group and the host of the Legacy on Purpose podcast, about what he's learned from participating in endurance events, the importance of truly living our purpose, and how these tie into effective, meaningful leadership.
1: I think there's a true gift for leaders to go seek those opportunities. To change what they see as hard, to create a new perspective on what they think they can do, and as a result of it, when those challenging times come up, they're going to lead in extraordinarily different ways.
0: Kyle Sanders is the founder of Legacy Consultants Group and the host of the Legacy on Purpose podcast. Kyle is an avid endurance runner, and he prides himself on creating significant client relationships built on a mutual alignment of values, philosophies, and expectations. So, ready to dive into how to go the distance in order to live out your purpose and shape a better future? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Kyle Sanders, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me here. Such an honor to be a guest on your extraordinary podcast. And I just really been looking forward to this conversation all week. When I saw it on my calendar, I was really excited for us to have this opportunity to chat this morning.
0: Oh, yeah. You know what? I was looking forward to it as well. We've had some great conversations in the past, and you were gracious enough to have me as a guest on your podcast, Legacy on Purpose.
1: Yeah, it was a great conversation. That was one of the highlights of the year is to dive into the conversation we have. You're such a thoughtful and really future thinking individual. So thank you again for your time. And sharing your wisdom with our audience.
0: Oh, of course. I really appreciated it and enjoyed it as well. And of course you're here in Indy along with me. So even though COVID is happening and we haven't met in person yet someday post COVID, (laughs) uh, we will have coffee. And I look forward to that happening in the future. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. What it's safe to do those social things again.
0: That's right. That's right. But Hey, um, I would love for you to share a little bit more about some of the things that have inspired you. So you've done a lot of pretty amazing work obviously your core work is in the finance space and you help a lot of people figure out their financial futures. But in the midst of all of that, you came up with this amazing concept to really dive into people's legacy and people's purpose. And so tell me a little bit more about what inspired you to start your podcast, Legacy on Purpose.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. There was a building and then a moment. So for 17 18 years i've observed some truths that i think are somewhat universal and i think it's that's a hard thing to say but i think in this instance we can say that these truths are universal is that individuals who find their purpose in life regardless of their financial significance how many how much resources they have that when they live a life purposefully then that life is more meaningful. It's more fulfilled. It brings more joy to them. They're better leaders. They're better parents when they're living on purpose. And so actually almost exactly a year ago, I was in Vermont doing an endurance event. I went to Stratton, Vermont, and I climbed up a ski a ski mountain, the face of a ski mountain, 17 times in a row. took me about 31 hours with a, about four hours of sleep in between all of this. But Climbed it 17 times till I ascended the vertical feet equivalent of Mount Everest. So I climbed 29,029 vertical feet, and there was only a couple hundred people doing this, and it was led by a gentleman by the name of Jesse Itzler. And Jesse is a serial entrepreneur. He is a coach. He's a mentor, and this is one of his events along with Colin O'Brady, who solo tracked across Antarctica. So there's some extraordinary people there. And what I watched and what I witnessed is that the majority of these individuals had descended to a place in their career that they didn't need to be there. They didn't need to be mucking through the snow, in the mud, in the dirt. There was a woman we're going to be interviewing her Thursday named Mona Patel, who has an amputation on her right leg. So she's got a prosthetic from the knee down and she's mucking up this mud. But every one of these people had a purpose. They had a reason to be on that mountain. They had a reason that they were pushing themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. And what I wanted to point a real huge shining flashing arrow towards is this, is that who we are as individuals matters more than what we have as individuals. And that who we are anywhere is who we are everywhere. And that great leadership comes not from strategies and doesn't come from the textbooks that they share in the halls of business colleges across this country. It comes in our core values of who we are as human beings. And so I wanted to start a podcast to really focus on servant leaders and individuals who come from a place of core values that they've lived and demonstrated in all aspects of their lives. So they're on Stratton Mountain, spending time with these extraordinary people, doing this extraordinary, dirty, nasty, long and grueling endurance event. I came with this idea that I wanted to interview extraordinary leaders and share their messages and share their vision and share their experiences with others to hopefully inspire other leaders to think the same way.
0: Yeah, that is inspiring. And I think last time we had a conversation when I learned more about your interest in endurance events, it just kind of blew my mind it's really interesting since we spoke to my nephew who's out in Colorado actually participated in the Moab 240, oh my. an endurance run event out in, in Moab. Yes. And he didn't run the whole thing. He ran a part of it, but he had been supporting another endurance runner who was a friend of his out there.
1: I watched the race. Who did he support? Do you remember?
0: Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to look that up for you. And uh, okay. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do have the name somewhere in my text log, <laughs> but <laughs> I will find that for you. But yeah, he sounds, Pictures. It was really amazing. Of course, if if anyone's not familiar with Moab, it's a beautiful area in Utah, gorgeous scenery. But I think the whole concept of endurance events is pretty fascinating to most people. Some might say crazy, but now I can kind of get a little bit of a understanding why you're fascinated by endurance events in general. So, what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned from participating in endurance events?
1: I think I've pulled three. One, and I believe this is a the universal truth. I don't believe any of us are living up to our fullest capabilities as human beings. I think most of us are under indexing what we can do as people. So I decided that I wanted to go on this decade of exploration, I wanted to find out really what my points of failure and limitations were as a person. And I have used endurance in sports and I'm using endurance in sports to find that out. I just finished running a virtual 50 mile ultra marathon because a lot of those events have been sent to the virtual scenario. So on October 3rd, just a few weeks ago, I ran 50 miles through Indianapolis. So the first thing I learned is what am I actually capable of? And what you find out through going beyond your physical limitations is that the spiritual and the emotional show up and support the body when the body is done. Like there is a place where your body, when you're going that far, is screaming at you to stop. And you're questioning why in the world you are doing this to begin with. And it brings out a strength in every person who goes beyond what they think they can do physically that they didn't know they had to begin with. So that's lesson one. The the second lesson is that I think being a kid is an extraordinarily courageous time in life. People don't think about it that way very often, but everything is new. Everything is daring. Everything is, is, is just big and enormous and The world is just unfamiliar. It's extraordinarily unfamiliar for children. And being a father of three young kids, what I wanted to do and work very hard to do is to be the kind of person I want my children to grow up to be. And so you can't do that sitting on the couch. You don't do that by pointing to a trophy case if you've been so blessed to win any trophies. You do that by what you choose to do today. So endurance and sports are a way for me to model to my children that you never stop doing courageous and daring things even as an adult and that's an extraordinarily important component of it and the last so when i ran 50 miles at mile 32 my brain literally shut off it literally goes quiet and for 16 miles so for a couple of hours i had no thoughts and it is an extraordinarily deep meditative state for me and it is for most individuals who run really far is that the monkey mind finally quiets. And so the, the third lesson for me is simply put, is that when you put yourself in uncomfortable scenarios, extraordinary things can happen. And one of those extraordinary things for me has happened is the ability to really have some deep meditative thought. And as a result of it, I get out some of my best ideas out on my really long runs. By the way, with three young kids, going out and running for three hours is an extraordinarily peaceful experience. <laughs> it's <laughs> wonderful.
0: <laughs> Maybe I need to take up running.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I kid people. It says I, I run to exercise my demons and I have a lot of them, so it takes me a while.
0: Oh, hey, I think just the fact that you're able to admit that, because all of us have these stresses and things that burden us in life.
1: Oh my gosh, yes. And
0: just being able to acknowledge that and do something positive.
1: It's where I find my peace. In absence of running, I would be a very different person. And it is where I found healing. It is where I found tranquility. It is where I feel connected to source, to, to God, to universal consciousness, whatever you want to call that, to the divine. There's not a time in my life if I'm more connected to that. I believe that life comes at us in extraordinarily unusual ways. You know, my ability to navigate this organization our clients uh, through COVID and the ability to show grit, courage, and tenacity in the face of adversity instinctively comes from the habits of having to do that through running. There are times it absolutely stinks to go run. I don't wanna go do it. I feel nasty, I feel grimy, I feel dirty, I'm tired, my legs hurt, I'm hungry, and I still got 10 more miles to run. I had an instant this summer where I, I literally caught a toe and went head over heels, and I was all sweaty to begin with. And so I'm, you know, I come home caked with mud and dirt, and my wife looks at me and goes, What happened? I finished the run anyways. And I don't say that to, to be braggadocious or, or to be arrogant about any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, whether it's running or, or something of that nature, the gift in pushing your body beyond what it, you feel it can do the gift that comes from it at some point, at some time, in some way, life is going to show up and it's going to punch in the face. And it builds a mental ability to persist through the discomfort and do what is necessary for those that you love and those you've been entrusted with. And so it's an extraordinary gift. I'm very, very passionate about that hobby and, and what it's done in my life. And fundamentally, what I think it could do for a lot of people if they pursued it beyond just being able to run a few miles.
0: Yeah. There's a, a lot of even leadership lessons in what you just shared. And I'll have to say, I just texted my sister on the names of these runners. And so the famous guy, this is what my sister says, the famous guy that did the endurance running is David Goggins. Yes. And then she said, Brian Pacenti is my nephew's friend that he helped
1: run that Moab. Yeah. G- Goggins came in second in the Moab 240. And... He, I think it was mile 160 in that region, he sprained his ankle to the place where no rational human being would have kept running Mm. and still finished the race and came in second. And uh, yeah, David Goggins is one of those people that if if your listeners have not read his book, Can't Hurt Me, it's an extraordinary read. If they're sensitive to language, I, I will share that it is strongly worded. He's a retired Navy SEAL and he speaks like one might think a retired Navy SEAL could potentially speak. (laughs) But it's an extraordinary book. He actually grew up in Indianapolis. Mm. Yeah, he went to North Central for a period of time, which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right up the road. But I think even just in talking about David Goggins and his ability to overcome adversity on these runs, running through a sprained ankle and um, being able to even just, I gotta say this, even just being able to run 250 miles blows my mind. But to do it injured when your body is worn down, like you said, you've had to turn off the triggers in your brain that tell you everything you're doing right now is bad for you. yes. But you continue on to reach that goal. And once you do, there's likely an overwhelming feeling of accomplishment that overrides any of the pain, any of the challenges, any of those things that held you back along the way. Yes. And as you talk through your passion around endurance events and the inspiration it gives you, I start to see more and more this aspect of overcoming adversity through these events and leadership. And also there's a self-care aspect you brought up as well, is being able to identify those things that are troubling you and using running as an outlet to help you uh, you know, work through those things that are challenging. And there's a powerful lesson there for leaders to think about self-care, what are the things that they need to do to be well and work at their best, and also about perseverance through challenging times or challenging circumstances.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think You know, I think so much of it is your habits are going to drive your responses. And if you're somebody, when things get hard, you bail, that's your move, that's your automatic behavior, or what you defined as hard, right? So at the end of the 50 mile run, finished in my house, my wife's out there, kids are out, they've taken a roll of toilet paper and they've written finished line across it. And I start crying. Like I mean, I get extraordinarily emotional at the end of this. I've, it took me ten hours of running, twelve hours of clock time to do this. I put in overtime. It was you know ran longer than most people go to work right all day long. You know, for seven a.m. I started the run. A Little after seven p.m. I was done. You know, ten hours on my feet running during that window, mm. and I got super emotional. But then now. Like my definition of heart is something very, very different than what many people's definition of heart is. Like I finished 50 miles and I went, hmm, I think I can go further. And there was a period of time during that run that my nutrition had gone wrong. I thought I was going to throw up. I literally thought I was going to throw up on the side of the canal, you know, it it is it it's not the normal run that people are out doing along the canal trail i'm you know here i am just absolutely beating myself into the ground and people are out for the little family walk and you know if i started throwing up on the side of it especially during COVID, i was quite concerned how people would respond to that but you reset your definition of hard. you reset it and that is such an extraordinary gift for people because how you respond to difficulty you see courage is not the absence of fear it's a triggered response to fear and what individuals choose to do in those moments of discomfort drives so much of how they lead their team and how they lead others and how you parent it impacts every aspect of your life and when you can take something it doesn't have to be running 50 miles my goodness i'm certainly not suggesting everybody put that on their calendar for 2021 but I am an extraordinarily large believer in something that is profound and gained through putting something for you, individually for you. I was talking to my wife and she goes, what should I do? I said, well, spending two hours on the Peloton. If you just said, I set a goal for 2021 to ride the Peloton for two hours. Would that take some discipline? She goes, yeah. Would that take you sticking to a schedule? Yeah, Would that take you approaching working out and eating and everything differently? Yeah. How would that feel to finish a two-hour ride on the Peloton? That feel extraordinary. Fantastic, you found your thing then. When you can put yourself in a place of discomfort and push beyond it, it's just a different perspective. It drops a different lens of perspective in your life. And I think there's a true gift for leaders to go seek those opportunities to change what they see as hard, to create a new perspective on what they think they can do. And as a result of it, when those challenging times come up, they're going to lead in extraordinarily different ways.
0: Absolutely, And what a great demonstration of perseverance, helping other people as well, inspiring them to work through tough times. I mean, I think that inspiration piece is really important because it motivates us to work towards something bigger than ourselves or maybe more than we thought we could accomplish. And there's so much to that. And of course, like you said, it's not about taking on these challenges that you may not be physically ready for, nor is this about, you know, putting yourself in any type of danger in relation to excess stress or physical overload. It's really around working towards that opportunity for you to overcome circumstances you never thought you could. And what a powerful lesson comes with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'm curious too. thinking about all these different pieces you put together around, you know, what inspired you for your podcast, your passion around effective leadership, what you've learned from endurance events, what you've learned from life as a parent and overcoming adversity and challenging things to accomplish things you never thought you could. Let's pull that together then to you, the work that you do. So as a financial advisor, help us connect the dots between these amazing things that you've put together or thought about, or that inspire you around your podcast, around Legacy on Purpose, around endurance running. How does that tie into the work that you do as a financial advisor and lining that to the aspects that are important for financial health
1: for your clients? I love the word financial health. It's so often when we think about, what a financial advisor does. There's the misconception when I watch the advertisements by large financial institutions that success looks like if you can get to $3 million or $10 million, then you've made it. And if you get on Instagram today or social media of any sort, you very quickly see this promotion of what I believe or what I view as excess. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having nice things or luxurious things by any stretch of the imagination. If you're at a place financially where that makes sense. And it truly is what you want. So the piece that I think that is really unique in the way we try to help our clients think about it is one is identifying your purpose. What is your purpose? What is the intentionality you have around your life? And why are you doing what you do? And is it really truly authentic to you? And that is one of the things that is so disheartening when I look at the world today is that I think a lot of people are not living in an authenticity. They haven't really taken the time to figure out who they really are and what makes them come alive and feel joy. And they're not necessarily living out their values in a purposeful and meaningful way. And so one, the the podcast is really a calling and a connection to what I do as an advisor is to walk alongside our clients And to help them identify, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this thing called life? And what is your definition of living healthy? What does living financially well mean to you? And if there is not in that a healthy amount of gratitude, then there is no... like. Fidelity had this advertisement years ago. What is your number? Well, if you don't have a certain level of healthy level of gratitude, there will never be a large enough number. You'll never get to a place where enough is enough. And so there's a harmonious element of identifying your values, knowing who you are authentically, painting your vision for life and how you want it to come forth, allows you to find out really what and where you need to be to find joy financially, what living well, living healthy, living in harmonious financially will mean for you individually, because you've identified it around your own intention and purpose. From there, then you can start making choices of what you do with your own resources in ways that matter to you and not in ways that get it gained or garner attention for people who really don't care. And so our whole focus here as an organization is truly your legacy is that. Your legacy is how you live. It's the values you model. It's the choices you make. Because in absence of transferring those things to your children, no amount of resources is actually going to be sustainable. 90% 90% of wealth that is transferred is lost by the third generation. The average inheritance, according to Ohio State University, is evaporated in under 18 months. The average amount of time it takes for an individual to go buy a car after receiving an inheritance is less than two weeks, which is the number one thing that people who leave money to their kids hope they will not go do. And so our whole purpose is that if you go out and model your values live your purpose, share your intention and live that way each and every day. Articulate that clearly to your children, help them find their purpose, their intention and their passion. Well, then in that way and in that process, you raise people and inspire people who are so on path and on purpose and on intention that whatever financial resources you leave them, will only accelerate them in a direction in our life that is greater for the people that they're around in the community that they live in. So there's a lot of synchronicity between the podcast and the vision and the intention that we share on it, the people we're interviewing, because we are putting the spotlight on people in the podcast who are examples of what we hope we teach our clients in here to raise their children to be like.
0: It's amazing how you look at the whole person, the whole life, and not even just around numbers, like a lot of people would think about a financial advisor being someone who crunches numbers and gives advice on where investments should go. And I'm sure you do that. But what you're really talking about is helping people build a life experience that is better and fulfilling for them and their family and future generations within their family. Powerful.
1: 100%. And the truth is, crunching numbers, it's 2020 you can do that online. You really can. Now, <laughs> not to say we can't add marginal benefit on the investment side of the work we do, because we can, but I'm not impacting people. When people come to my office, they typically usually already have some resources. I'm not pulling typically people out of poverty at this organization. Like We send people who need that kind of help, to Dave Ramsey, who's extraordinary in teaching those fundamentals. That's not what we do. So when I really began to investigate, I want to make an impact in people's lives, fundamentally. And the greatest way I can do that is not to help them make an extra half a percent rate of return on the portfolio. It's totally irrelevant, candidly, for the majority of people who are doing the right things to begin with. But what is significant is when you can look at a father who you're working with their kids, and you can share with them, Without specifically sharing, unless they have a fully open dialogue within families about money and finance, which I really strongly encourage once your kids are of age. But when you can share with them the story of their son or their daughter making a choice that is aligned with the family values and modeling and demonstrating those values in their own life and the kid not even realizing they're doing it. And when they, when that parent lights up and recognizes mm. that whatever resources they have, that that child is going to continue to do great things and that they're going to only accelerate the significance of that child's life. They just light up and you realize that you are taking one of the biggest concerns off of people's minds, which is after I'm gone, will my kids be okay? I think, it, I think it's really one of the biggest things that parents worry about. And I think well-informed parents recognize you can't leave your kids enough money to buy them out of all the problems in life. You have to leave them a set of values that helps them navigate the nuances of life in a way that life becomes easy. Life becomes joyful. Life becomes meaningful. You can't buy their way out. You can't. And so, yeah, it's it's an extraordinary experience to be able to make those kind of deep and meaningful impacts on people. Because otherwise, to me, I'm not real impressed with how much money people might have or don't have. It's not really, it's extraordinarily insignificant to me what lights me up is who you are as a human being and what wakes you up in the morning to make an impact in this world. And for that, I'm here all day. And I want to know, and I, and I want to know how I can guide you to, to express that and experience that and impact that at more significant levels. It's a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun.
0: That's amazing. So now I have a financial advisor on my show who demonstrates why wealth is not defined by money, but rather by fulfillment in life.
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. If you define wealth by what you have, you'll never get there.
0: You'll never get there.
1: Unless you're literally Jeff Bezos, or you're the wealthiest man on the face of the earth, there's somebody who has more. (laughs) And so if you're defining yourself as more, and wealth is having more, well, there's no end to that. And so true wealth to me is knowing who you are as a person In finding harmony and living a life of integrity, living in a life of authenticity. I I have trouble putting it in words. I can paint a visual picture. If you look at something that does not look like it should balance, but does. So, you ever seen those where someone stacks a whole bunch of stones really high and you're looking at those stones and you don't know how somebody stacked all these stones together, but they just somehow find equilibrium? To me, that is what we are seeking. It's not work-life balance, it's not money, it's harmony in ourselves. And when you find harmony, then there's an appropriate amount of resources financially that meet that. And one of the most heart-wrenching things I see consistently, Rebecca, in my work, is that people will go way beyond what they need, way beyond what is necessary. And as a result, end this life with so few memories and moments compared to what they could have. We tell our clients, there's two extraordinarily important deposits you make every year. One is into the investments that you need to reach your goals, and the other is into your photo album, and to make sure you do those in the right balance in the given year. So we've unfortunately lost clients, and I've sat in the room with a husband as his wife is dying, and you know what she never asks? Hey, honey. On this last breath of mine, can you please let me know what my net worth is on this last day that I have on this physical earth? No one ever asked that question. What they want to see and what they want to spend doing is looking at the photo album. They want to spend time talking about the memories and the moments and the people that truly made life extraordinary for them. And if all we focus about is how much money we can have, then those last years of our lives are going to be extraordinarily empty we talk to our clients about that a ton is to be intentional with the photos you put in the memory box in the photo album of your life because at some point in time that's all you're gonna have
0: that's powerful powerful stuff kyle so i'm interested because of course of some of the questions you asked your guests on your podcast about uh, what legacy on purpose means to them but i'm really curious what would you like your legacy to be
1: yeah so that's a uh, it's one I think about a lot. It's one I think about a whole lot, probably a lot more than a 41 year old typically thinks about. And I know three truths at this point. I know that one legacy I want is I want the people who come into my life to be around me, to see life as unlimited. For people to inspire to do things and try things and approach life in a way that failure is not a concern, especially my kids. The second is that I want to change the way people see money in this world. I want people to see it as a tool, not something that should be strived upon just for the sake of having it. I want people to, to rebalance and recalibrate the relationship with financial resources and recognize that it does not make who you are. It doesn't change your character. It doesn't change your relationships. It is not something that should be pursued for, for pursuit's sake alone. It's not impressive and to turn down the volume on that significantly. So that's one of my second legacies. And the third, the third's deeply spiritual for me. One of my legacies that I truly believe that the greatest celebration we can give for this life that we've been blessed to have is to use it to our fullest, to never leave anything in our tanks, to not die as Dr. Wayne Dyer said, with our music in you. Or as David Goggins, as we referenced earlier, is to squeeze every bit out of the toothpaste tube as you can. So one of the legacies I want to leave is really more through example, is that if a life well lived is at the end of it, like are people, people say to this, Kyle, what about your knees? And I'll worry about that when I'm 90. I'll get some new knees when they're 90. They're going to be high tech. You know, they'll be, I'm not worried about it. Because to me, the greatest travesty that any of us can live is to us to get on the other side of whatever comes on this physical earth and for somebody to show us the life we could have lived if we didn't hold back. And so one of the things that I truly want to do for me, it's a gift to me, and hopefully even an inspiration to others, is to bring myself entirely out, the wash rag entirely out before my life is over.
0: Yeah. I have no doubt, Kyle, that you're going to make a huge difference in the lives of many people.
1: That's kind to say.
0: It's really inspiring. Thank you. But I also am interested to know obviously, you're quite a positive person, which is uplifting. Thank you. But I'm going to challenge you with a question What are some of the things that might make you concerned about our future?
1: Mm. Well, you know, one of the things that I observe, and it's so hard to tell, people put up, they put up such big masks, and that concerns me a lot. We are right now in a time where true individuality is at an all-time low and what i mean by that is that we are as a society as a whole at a macro perspective there's never been a time where diverging from group thought has been more challenging that we have put people in boxes and more aggressively right now than than i can recall and that worries me that when we can't be individuals because we're worried about being labeled something because we say we feel this or think that or share that or we voted for this person or that person in the last election, or we wear this shirt or that shirt. When we group people by just one micro detail of their life and as a result, we box them in, then we limit their creativity, we limit their impact, we limit their voice. When we label people, we limit people. And so what worries me more today than anything is that we're so fast to judge others. And it's gotten to a place where it's not even the transgressions you made last week. It's the transgressions you made from 40 years ago. And, you know, in 1979, you said something you shouldn't have said. And it made me very nervous to start a podcast because now there's a permanent recording of everything I said. And I would hope at 51, I have a lot more wisdom than I did at 41. One of my core values is growth. And so what worries me for this world today is one that we box people. And by boxing people, we create a real tough scenario for them to be authentic, for them to take off their masks and for them to grow. When you punish people for making mistakes at such extraordinarily high levels, then failure and growth is very challenging. And so what I hope we'll get to a place of what I describe as radical, spontaneous forgiveness, is what I mean by that is that we're all human and we all make mistakes and we all do things that are extraordinarily stupid. And we say things we don't mean or we we say things that we think are gonna be funny that are in the wrong company, in the wrong scenario that are just really not funny at all and probably never were funny, um, but we just make a mistake. And for that, to me, the biggest opportunity that this world has right now is to learn to share grace to share love with others. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to make a positive. You can't ask me that. Like it just go positive. It just, I can't stay there. Like it's just, you know, I've worked really, really hard at that. Yeah. Like that's who I am. Like,
0: Hey Kyle, there's nothing to apologize for. <laughs> nothing can't Stay all. negative.
1: I can't do it. I got to spin your question. It's so. fine.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I would never expect you to be anyone other than exactly who you are.
1: I'm blown away by this, right? Like I, I grew up graduated 86 people in my hometown. Okay, being Catholic would have made you like that would have been diversity is just being Catholic. Right? It was, you know, I grew up in like, white Anglo Saxon Protestant hub, and I didn't choose it. But that was a lens of perspective that I walked into the world of an adult world through. And I saw things differently and probably said some things differently when I was 17, 18 years old that I would never dream about saying today. And I certainly would hate for somebody to judge Kyle Sanders at 41 because of things I said when I was 18 years old. And I think that we have an extraordinary opportunity because I didn't choose that lens. I didn't. Any more than a young individual lived in an urban dwelling and the violence that he or she may have experienced due to poverty and the necessity to survive in some of those environments that it, that sadly exist, not only here in the United States, but in, in places where poverty exist in the world. And my heart breaks for individuals who have had a lens of perspectives, that shifts the way they seen the world, whether it's an individual who grew up, like I did, where diversity and inclusion was not a component of the community that I grew in, or individuals who saw violence and perspectives to that, that lens. And then what worries me is then they have these lens of perspectives that they would like to work through. But then something comes where they tweeted something or they shared something when they were 18 and now they're 26 and they've grown from 18 to 26 and we're judging them in the 18-year-old self. But that lens of perspective and how they saw the world was nothing but the environment that they were experiencing at that age they had no choice in, an example of what I'm talking about. That needs to change.
0: Yeah, and I think there's definitely to your point about making sure people have the opportunity to experience growth and to learn from their mistakes and move forward. I think is really important. We can't expect people to be trapped in their mistakes of the past. If you have someone who's willing to step up and say, "You know what? I was wrong. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. Now I want to do something better with my life." So that's something that we should definitely encourage and celebrate. I think there's a lot to be said because there are people in the world that don't do that, that make terrible mistakes. Oh, yeah. I, not that I'm saying that you've done anything terrible, but I, <laughs> but that make terrible mistakes and don't take accountability for those mistakes. 100%. And I would say that's where the problem would really lie if someone's not willing to step up and say, yes, I made a mistake and this is what I'm doing to try to be better. Agreed. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually, this week, had an opportunity to interview uh, a man on death row. And what was really inspiring about the conversation and he'd been there for 30 years, so this was someone who'd been there for 30 years, it was his ability to take accountability for his actions. Yes. And we're talking about a very terrible crime. He committed murder, and he'll you know, openly admit to the crime that he's committed, but he has dedicated his life on death row to growth in learning and making a positive impact. And I think that's, you know, that story to be told is you never want to discourage someone to do better than what they had done in the past. And so I think there's definitely a powerful message there to not live in our mistakes and celebrate when people learn from the mistakes that they've made and become better people because of it. Mm -hmm. So
1: I will be listening to that episode. So when I was three years old, you didn't know this, Michael, when I was three years old, my grandfather was murdered. mm -hmm. One of the um, longest standing murders in Ohio history that was actually ever solved. So he was murdered when I was three. And the men went to trial when I was in fifth grade, uh, which is kind of crazy to even think about. And one of the most profound things I've ever done in my life is I sat and prayed for the forgiveness for the people who killed my grandfather when I was in eighth grade. And I share that because that's what I'm talking about in this world. That's what we need not not the point of like, that I'm some extraordinary example. But, you know, that man, all he wants in his life, I can't wait to hear it. But I suspect all he wants is a second chance of forgiveness. That's it. Right. And I think that's what we all want. Like, all we want is a second chance. And all we want is to be forgiven for the things that we did wrong. And that's a very simple thing to say some things are extraordinarily difficult to forgive they really really are but i'm a huge proponent of it and i think it's something we're really lacking in this world today is is just empathy and forgiveness and not for others in mm-hmm. you know i i can't wait to hear i can't wait to hear that episode that's going to be that's going to be a powerful one.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And in some respects almost left me speechless, but it was, I almost just kind of get emotional thinking about it. But mm. I think it's one of those things that you would get a different perspective. And to me, this goes back to different perspectives that people have based on their experiences in life and how things really kind of come together in a way that makes you think differently about the world and about people, not in a negative way, but in a positive way yes in this opportunity for us to continually do better as people as society as companies as you know you name it
1: 100% yeah
0: absolutely so um yeah definitely ch- check that out when it comes out but what I'll do now to I'll give you a break so I'm going to allow you to live in a positive place for a while and I want to ask you what you're optimistic about for the future I'm optimistic about
1: this if I can be so transparent Nothing makes me more optimistic than knowing people like you, like myself, like Jay Shetty, Lewis Howes, the late Wayne Dyer, that there are people out there, that I have a a guest list of individuals who are living the way that they're living. Nothing makes me more excited to know that there's still good people in this world and that they care for one another and that they're showing up in a way that inspires others and challenges others and that they're living in a way that my children will have others that see this world in a similar way. And it excites me to no end that these conversations are happening and that we get to choose. Nothing excites me more about the future today than there's enough good people who are making choices in such a way that I believe that we can shape this world into something more significant, more beautiful, more loving, more empathetic than what we experience right now. I think we're really at this pinnacle point where people are taking a step back and they're really asking themselves is this really what we intended to create and making different choices with how they interact with others that when we show a lack of compassion empathy and care for one another that that is received poorly and that individuals are getting you know really this opportunity to reassess how they're showing up in other people's lives so This, these conversations, the fact that you have an audience, the fact that I have an audience, and the fact that people want to tune in and hear our messages excites me because it tells me that you and I are not alone.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. What a great place to put another challenge out into the world. So, folks, if you're out there and you're hearing what Kyle is saying right now, all of you have opportunity to make a difference in this world in your own way. So, like I always say, go out and shape the future, folks. So kyle thank you so much for joining me now his podcast is legacy on purpose and so make sure to go check that out Uh, it's inspiring and impactful and he's got amazing guests so kyle sanders thank you so much for joining me
1: you're very welcome it is just an absolute honor to have spent this time with you and uh first cup of coffee when things are free is on me
0: (laughs) fantastic thanks kyle thank you Kyle does an extraordinary job of walking us through what it takes to go the extra mile. Okay, to go the extra 50 miles or maybe the extra 240 miles or what it takes to climb the equivalent of Mount Everest. While endurance events certainly require a high level of physical fitness, they also require tremendous perseverance, discipline, and the need to overcome adversity. It reminds us that we can push ourselves beyond our hardships, beyond what we believe is possible, beyond traditional limitations in order to achieve something truly great. For many people, certainly for me, 2020 was quite the endurance event. I know many of you overcame adversity this year, in business and in life, in order to keep going. And while it wasn't easy, you made it. It's okay if you didn't achieve your ultimate goal you envisioned for the year. I certainly didn't. I expected to scale my speaking business and launch a course. But what I did do is launch this podcast, persevered through deep depression, parented four kids who struggled to get through significant disruption in life, and refused to sacrifice my values or my well-being. I could also bring parallels to the endurance events of life, and we're all still running that one. As we continue on this path, our energy comes from our purpose and our destination is our legacy. That word, legacy, hits heavy for me. I honestly have a hard time accepting my own legacy. But the reality is, is we all have a legacy, regardless of whether we choose it or not. By choosing a legacy that aligns to our purpose, we can lead a life with intention and leave an impact that aligns to our values. That impact can shape a better future, one that aligns to the future we want to see. I feel like my purpose found me, and it's right here in this podcast and the work that I do to inspire others to shape a better future. My legacy sits with this podcast this record of great conversations with people like Kyle, with the impact these conversations make for people who listen, and of course, with my children. What's your purpose? What is the legacy you choose to create? There's no better time than now to chart your course. I wish you the courage to chart that course, the perseverance to stay the course, and that you reach a destination that makes the difference you wish to see. So go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Kyle Sanders and his amazing work, visit LegacyConsultantsGroup.com. That's LegacyConsultantsGroup.com. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to Humans Now and Then so you don't miss out on Season 3, launching on January 5th, 2021. I'll start with a conversation with Tessie Castillo, author of Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.